What is good, everybody? Welcome back to the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and I have a mountain of papers around me right now in the office as I'm looking through all the notes that I took from kind of re-watching um, a lot of these games. Uh, I gave a condensed watch on the rewatch for these games. Obviously, I've watched these games live, but then kind of have to go back and give it a condensed look on NBA League Pass, uh, where you can kind of just get the game in a much faster version as well, uh, so that you can quickly also jot down whatever it is you might have missed while watching it live. Uh, it's just my way of watching the games because that way, the first time around, I can just enjoy them and not be looking away and taking note after note. And then when I do the rewatch, the condensed versions are usually about 15 to 20 minutes at a time. And then you can really kind of start jotting things down. So I'm going to start with Saturday's games, obviously the first round. I'm just going to start off the way that the schedule had it. So Sixers Nets started off exactly how I expected it to start. And I, I, I can't say that I was surprised at obviously the Sixers walking away with the win. Um, obviously just offense for offense, like I explained before before the playoffs started on that Friday pod. Um, you know, just offense for offense, that's where the Sixers are just gonna come away with the wins on these games. And you know, Nets, obviously the only advantage they have is the one that they were using very well against the Sixers, which is obviously the effort, the energy, trying to get up and down as much as possible and just pressuring the ball on Harden, pressuring, you know, Embiid, trying to get other guys to beat you. Um, but you know, just down the line, it's just, it's just too much to, to overcome, right? Offensively, it's just the Nets just don't have enough scoring punch. And I'm not really going to get into this game because pretty much it was, it really was a slugfest. The, the Nets did a great job of making this game and honestly making this series um, as it goes on, just as annoying and as tiring as possible for the 76ers. So, you know, the Sixers to me, they have to just win this series as quickly as possible okay the longer they get in this series right the longer this series just extends any game that the that the nets might pull out of their hat right like if they happen to win one if they happen to win two which is something that i was expecting them to do i hope that they're able to take a couple of games at least um it's gonna take a lot uh it's definitely gonna take a pop-off game from dinwiddie like i said mikhail bridges was very good in this game uh but he's gonna obviously be he's gonna have to be consistent in that sense as well they're gonna need to play perfect to basically take a game right and i'm basically banking on the fact that they'll either play great they'll, they'll just have an explosive game and then the next game will also be a cold game for the Sixers, right? One where they just don't bring it for whatever reason, which is totally possible for the Sixers. Um, but, you know, other than that, I, I just, you know, I, I don't see how the Nets would even win this series. I don't want to spend too much time on this game. Um, basically, you know, Nets kind of just run away with it at the end. Pretty convincing win once they got to the fourth quarter. You know, even though, you know, the Nets fought hard throughout. I'm going to move on to the next game, which was a much much better one it was Cavs Knicks okay in a game where I did not think Julius Randle was going to start um he actually played the game and he didn't play great but he was very effective uh it wasn't an efficient game for Randle but it was uh, a very effective one you know this game was super physical I'm glad that the refs are allowing a lot of physicality because it just allows for just more aggressive gameplay 
right? Just the play style, it's something that we're not really used to watching the regular season, and then you get to the playoffs, and, you know, sometimes the refs, as we know, let some things go. Well, in this game, they let a lot go, um, and it made for some fun basketball, honestly, between these two. Um, you know, the Knicks came out hyper-focused, okay? This was a game that I thought, the way that they started this game, I thought to myself, you know, I don't like the way the Cavs start off in this game. You know, I think it was like 9-0 or 9-2 to start off the game in favor of the Knicks. You know, the Cavs just start off so slow, which is never a good sign. You know, when a team comes into your arena and they set the tone, that's typically how the game's going to go. Um, and that's really how it went. You know, the Cavs responded well, but, you know, the first quarter... <laughs> Even though, you know, they kept it close, it, they went one for eight from three, you know, 12% from three. The Knicks went 37.5% from three, as I was looking here on the box score, um, you know, just turning defense into offense, uh, just running up and down as much as possible. The Knicks were really taking advantage of any stop they could get. Uh, you know, the Cavs being last in pace and the Knicks being fifth slowest in pace, no doubt to me. Whoever gets a stop on defense and just gets down court, right, is going to have an advantage down the stretch uh, because both these teams just play so slow. Um, you know, second quarter comes around. The Knicks go super cold, 0 for 8 from 3, but never stop being aggressive, right? They got to the free throw line regardless. And the second quarter was a Donovan Mitchell carry show. You know, they keep the game. He keeps the game close pretty much on his own, uh, just playing comeback all the half, right? Third quarter was better. Okay, for the Cavs offensively, um, but again, it's just they're just unable to stop Jalen Brunson. It's just they can't stop anybody. You know, defensively, the Cavs really struggling to keep Brunson out of the paint. You know, out of the mid-range area, they just couldn't get the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands. He was so comfortable in this game, and it was so it was awesome to watch because it's like this is exactly why the Knicks. Uh, went after Brunson you know they just needed this type of leader this guy that's not gonna not gonna be phased right he's not gonna be bothered by this um, by any of the pressure you know he's gonna show up and he had a huge game right coming to Cleveland and just taking their soul you know uh, we, we get on with the fourth quarter I'm kind of just like jumping around uh, you know Randall and Barrett in this game just super inefficient um, Randall wasn't great but but again you know at least he kept aggressive right he stayed aggressive in this game so that's still you know got him some rebounds got him some second chance opportunities even second chance opportunities for the Knicks too you know even if he will make you scratch your head at times and it's not going to be the only time in this series that he does that um, but you know you hope that he stays aggressive I guess right if, if you're a Knicks fan uh, you, you don't want guys to kind of lose their confidence right Randall does not lose confidence he'll go 0 for 20 in a game before 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 he stops shooting um, Donovan Mitchell basically takes it upon himself in the fourth quarter because Darius Garland just disappears. Okay, fourth quarter, I don't even think he took a shot in the fourth quarter, which is super unacceptable. And then you have Evan Mobley just missing everything around the rim. And honestly, it's it would be stupid of me to assume that Mobley would have a great game in his first playoff game because not everybody has a great first playoff game you know so so Mobley just kind of seeing the physicality of this game you know it definitely rattled him in my opinion he looked good right getting to his spots but just not finishing you know just missing a lot of easy baskets um you know and after a long climb from the Cavs 
finally getting some stops and finding Donovan Mitchell for baskets over and over again. I think they went on like a 9-0 run from what I took notes here uh, for the Cavs. It was like 93-92. to 92. Uh, The Cavs were up uh, with like 20, with 2 minutes and 28 seconds left in the 4th, which was incredible to watch because at this point I'm thinking, okay, the Cavs are going to get this one, right? They're, they, re, they got control of this game and they're going to walk away with a win at home. Uh, but Josh Hart and Brunson just... You know, big shot after big shot, getting some rebounds, fighting for loose balls. Randall pulls down a huge offensive rebound down the stretch, and that was pretty much the game. 101 to 97, the Knicks steal a game on the road. And before I get into this team comparison little chart that I have here, um, it's crazy because I did mention to you guys on the trade deadline pod, and you can go back um, and check that one out if you don't believe it. Uh, When I was telling you guys, Josh Hart, huge pickup on the trade deadline huge you know and and just just a gamer a dude that's not gonna be afraid he's gonna hit shots he's gonna get to the basket he's gonna come away with 50 50 balls he's gonna rebound for you he's gonna defend just a guy that you want on your team just the ultimate tom Thibodeau guy perfect for their for their situation for the way they want to play he's not gonna play outside of himself he's an ultimate team player he's everything you know, so just a great role player, um, you know, and, and just some Cavs comparisons here with the Knicks. You know, you're running two seven footers out there, right? Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. I think Evan Mobley's more like 6'11, 6'10, but um, the point is, you know, rebound wise, the Knicks, they win the rebounds 51 to 38, you know, <laughs> free throw line, okay? Both of them took about the same amount of free throws. You know, Knicks took 22 free throws, 86.4%. The Cavs took 21. so you know pretty much same amount of free throws Knicks just showed up at the free throw line uh field goal percentage and three-point percentage was surprising to see because it felt like the Cavs couldn't make a shot um but you know Cavs from the field 43.4 to the Knicks 42 so pretty much even there but the Cavs obviously shooting a little bit better and then from three the Cavs 32.3 the Knicks 27.6 so you know all in all the eye test didn't really do justice to some of these notes that I have here, obviously. Now, if you want to look at the bright side for the Cavs, right, which I'm looking at, Mobley was terrible. You know, four for 13, just missing easy ones. Karis LeVert, just a no-show. You know, terrible game for him. Okoro just couldn't make shots. You know, awful game for Okoro. And, and you know, lastly, they missed just a ton of free throws. You know, they missed a bunch of them. Um, and they still only lost by four. You know, given all those things, all combined, they still only lost by four points. So, you know, that's the bright side for the Cavs is knowing you get a little bit of a better game from Mobley and you, you win the game alone, right? If, if you're if you're kind of playing that factor, right? But then you can turn around and say the Knicks bright side, right? You kind of look at that one and RJ Barrett, just dog water, okay? Two for 12 from the field, one for five from three, just absolute no-show, Okay, no show for Jer- uh, for RJ Barrett. Julius Randle on the bright side for the Knicks as well. You know, he shot really bad. 7 for 20 from the field, 3 for 10 from 3. You get no show performances from Grimes and Quickly. And another bright spot for the Knicks. They just took home court advantage. So, you know, they're in a really good spot. You know, you, you, you basically, as the team on the road, you did your job. You took a game on the road. Now, if you take another game... This one is looking like it's in the bag. You know, whenever you can take a 2-0 lead on the road, 
you're coming back to close it out on your home floor, you're in the driver's seat. Um, you basically set the tone for the series when you take game one. You set the tone for the series if you just split a game on the road. Uh, for the Cavs, this is a must-win game two. Okay, you don't want to go to Madison Square Garden down 0-2 in this series. Okay, as bad as the Knicks have been at home, that's not a team. That's not a situation you want to you want to put yourself in. You know, so that was Cavs Knicks. You know, it was a back and forth game. It was an ugly game from a lot of people, but it was a fun one. You know, it was definitely a slugfest. I want to move on quickly. You know, I'm just going to quickly talk about the Celtics Hawks game. Wasn't at all fun. It was super boring. It was a blowout. It was a smackdown. My concerns about this series, obviously everyone is picking the Celtics to win this. Most people pick them in a sweep. I said that I saw it differently. I thought that, you know, the Hawks would probably take one, maybe two games. You know, I was counting on, you know, maybe the Celtics down the road, they'll have a really bad shooting night, which is possible. The Hawks could take advantage of that if they happen to be shooting pretty good and if they out-rebound them in that same effort, which is totally possible. They're just the bigger team. Um, but the Hawks come into this game and they don't even do what they're better at, right? Which is rebounding. You know, you look at the rebound chart for the Hawks and the Celtics, Celtics have 58 rebounds. The Hawks had 45. You know, you look at the three-point percentage, we know the Hawks are not a good three-point shooting team, but they're better than what they did that game. The Hawks shot five for 29, 17% from three. The Celtics, 39.4% from three, 13 for 33. So damn near elite three-point shooting as a team. You're not going to beat the Celtics in any game with that kind of game, right? If you're not going to out-rebound the Celtics and you're also going to have a poor shooting night, those are your only two chances of, of taking a game against the Celtics is if you're shooting well and you're out-rebounding them. That's basically your only two options here against the Celtics. So, you know, just unable to stop anybody, okay? I mean, the Celtics were attacking the basket at will. They were just, they were blowing by every single hawk on the perimeter. That game was boring it was it was just super lame it was not fun it wasn't entertaining and yeah that one was that um, I'm gonna move on to the next game that was on that Saturday schedule it was Warriors Kings uh, Warriors Kings was everything that everybody expected it to be you know it was a battle of dribble handoff action spamming Warriors spamming dribble handoff with Dre at the top and the Kings spamming dribble handoff with Sabonis at the top um, you know literally looking in the mirror in terms of the way these teams get points for themselves for the majority of the regular season and a lot of this game as well. But the first quarter was hilarious because both teams basically, they tied at 29 and the Warriors shot three for 11 from three and the Kings shot three for 12 from three. So it was basically like teams playing against themselves, right? Just, it was literally like looking in a mirror in the first quarter. But then you go to the second quarter, you know, and the Warriors double down on three-pointers. They go four for 11, while the Kings just go one for four, okay? Malik Monk explodes in the second quarter. He drops 15 points and only misses one shot, okay? So he basically just completely goes off, single-handedly keeping the Kings alive offensively, you know, just getting to the rim at will, just making shots, making his free throws. Malik Monk was huge in this game, okay? He was, he was just unstoppable, in this game that the Warriors just could not stop him. 
from getting to the basket. You know, Warriors eventually took a small, somewhat comfortable seven-point lead that they held almost throughout the whole third quarter. Um, Sabonis just really struggled. This was a really bad offensive game for Sabonis. You know, Looney and Draymond and, and, you know, a little bit of Wiggins action just giving a lot of trouble to Sabonis. And the Warriors just heavily and very expectedly, obviously, uh, just heavily playing drop coverage just daring Sabonis to shoot the ball. And he did try to shoot, but they just didn't fall. Um, but the Kings very intelligently just opting to attack the basket. You know, something that the Warriors could not stop from happening. Um, and then the fourth quarter comes along, you know, Warriors continuing to shoot threes. They shot so many threes in this game. They went six for 19 from three in the fourth quarter while the Kings were just taking what the defense gave them, which is ultimately how they won this game. You know, they only shot six more, six threes in the fourth quarter compared to the Warriors' 19. You know, and the Kings went five for six. A lot of that was because of driving kicks. You know, you can't stop Fox from getting to the paint. You can't stop Malik Monk from getting to the paint. That's leaving shooters open. And you're trying to close out on those shooters and they're knocking them down. That's how they got back in this game and basically took the game over. You know, Wiggins down the stretch, he takes a wide open three. Um, he was open for a long time. Uh, you know, basically the the Warriors were down 123 to 124. So had Wiggins made that three, it would have been game changing. But he misses it. Monk gets fouled on the other end. He makes his free throws. It's 123 to 126. Steph shoots a crazy floater-ish three in the final seconds to try to kick it to overtime, but he misses. And that was basically the game, you know. Uh, Warriors just, I mean, I'm looking at this, this box score. And on, on my notes as well, they took 53s, just way too many, 16 for 50 from the three, and the Kings shot 12 for 32, right, so like, I understand that these teams play very similarly, but, you know, what I liked from the Kings in this game was that the Kings were just taking what the defense gave them, like I said, so, you know, they were taking advantage of what they knew the Warriors couldn't stop, versus the Warriors were just shot chucking and hoping that they could just outshoot the Kings. And I don't like that strategy because you're basically rolling the dice in terms of who you trust to shoot threes or to just shoot jumpers all game long. Yes, you're going to trust those guys, but you know, you're kind of rolling the dice in that sense, because if you go cold uh, or, or if the rest of the team just, just isn't able to, to, to be involved either, you know, and they did a good job of kind of spreading the wealth, but again, 53s, that's just way too many threes, you know, and they shot themselves out of the game, you know, and then on top of that, the Warriors are careless with the ball, and they were careless in this game, just complicating their own offense, you know, they have to just stick to the basics, okay, get to the basket more, make more extra passes, even if you have a good look, just make that extra pass, take that extra dribble, you know, put some more pressure on the defense, cause more rotations, you know, cause more confusion, and this game would have been in the bag, you know, you take a couple less threes, maybe you, you look for better opportunities, and this game doesn't slip away from the Warriors, you know, the Kings basically just played the smart game, you know, the Warriors tried to play the math game, and, you know, shooting more threes didn't work out for them, now, I expected the Warriors to take this first game, because game one is super important, especially if you can win it on the road, um, but the Warriors weren't able to do it. So, you know, I expect the Warriors to win the next game, which is, you know, it's going to be huge, okay? Because you take this game and obviously they take home court advantage where they've been great 
Okay, so this to me, in my opinion, this is more of a must win for the Kings than the Warriors. And I say that because they're obviously a young team. You know, there's a lot of pressure on this group because they haven't been to the playoffs since 2006. And, you know, if you give up this home game to the Warriors, winning on the road against the Warriors is not easy. And if the Warriors are able to take this game on the road and then they win those next two at home, they could probably end this series quicker than everyone thought. So, you know, this to me, yes, it's very important as bad as the Warriors have been to win on the road. Um, but it's not a game changer if they don't win this game on the road, in my opinion. Okay, because it, the way I see it, the home team just did what they were supposed to do and win both games on the road. You know, you, you keep your home court advantage that way. You know, so I think it's more dangerous for the Kings to lose this one than for the Warriors to win it. You know, because the Warriors will still have a chance to even it up at two apiece playing at home. And then, you know, who knows? You know, I, I like the Warriors chances in a tied series. So especially against a young team. So I'm going to move on uh, with Lakers Grizzlies, which was the first game of the Sunday matchups. Uh, it was an awesome game until... We got an injury from John ja Morant, which was just super frustrating. Um, you know, it was a massacre on the boards, as expected. The Lakers just way too big. Uh, the Lakers also just killed them from three. You know, the Warriors, the the, the, the Lakers shot really well from three. Um, you know, but Ja gets hurt attempting a crazy dunk that it would just make me so angry if I was a Grizzlies fan, you know, like, like just so often he goes for these crazy dunk attempts that are just so unnecessary. Like they would be tone setters. I get it. If you do land those dunks, but it's just, you know, is it really worth it if you're putting your body at risk? And in this case, he might be out for game two. We don't know what his status is, if he's going to miss the whole series or who knows what it is. Um, speaking of injuries, Anthony Davis right on cue he gets injured in the middle of the game. Everybody's pissed, including me. You know, just the glass man himself. He always gets hurt. He always finds a way to get hurt. But he comes back, you know, so he seemed fine. And we get an Anthony Davis pop-off game, which is totally expected. Reeves just pops off. Rui Hachimura has probably the best game of his career. D'Angelo Russell played really well, minus some dumb plays you know, that come with the package of D'Angelo Russell. He's going to have like one or two bad plays for every three to four uh, good plays. You know, LeBron, great stat line. If you're looking at the stat line, you're thinking, man, he was dominant. But I'm telling you, it, it, I guess it wasn't like a dominant. The, the way he did it, it was just the most quiet rebounds, points, assists that you'll see from LeBron. You know, he was very passive in this game, but... You know, he, he he got a lot of stops on defense, a lot of chase down blocks, you know, just a lot of good moments, right? Knocked down some shots, but again, it, it was a weird game to watch LeBron be as passive as he was. But honestly, in a game where Austin Reeves and, and Hachimura and Anthony Davis and, and D'Angelo Russell all show up, you know, those are the games where I give LeBron a pass on being as passive as he was because he's basically letting the guys just go off, you know, which I think is smart obviously, but it was just kind of like a little info for any of you watching that box score and thinking that it was like some dominant LeBron game. It really wasn't. It was just, you know, he was very passive in this game. And even then the numbers are crazy. You know, you go back and look at those numbers, they look out of control. Um, and the Lakers obviously take this win. Now, Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr., he did everything he could in this game. He played great. Uh, Desmond Bain played great as well. 
you know, but with Jaw out, right, potentially being out, the Lakers need to win out, okay? They need, there are no excuses. I would not be surprised if the Lakers somehow just blow this game if Jaw doesn't play the next game. But they cannot lose this game. They need to just quickly end this series as quickly as possible. They take this game at Memphis, right? Game two, if they can take that game and they get those next two home games, they need to close it out, right? And just get their well-needed rest and prepare for whoever their opponent is, who I think is going to be the Warriors. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next game. This game uh, hurt me more than any other game uh, from the weekend, honestly. So the next game was Heat Bucks for many reasons that I could be pissed about this game. Uh, obviously, me being a, a big Giannis fan and I'm rooting for the Bucks to, to win the title. Yes, I'm a Laker fan. Yes, that's what I'm saying. If they do happen to, if they miraculously end up being in the finals, I'm obviously going to be rooting for the Lakers. But, you know, besides the Laker pick, I've always been a Giannis fan uh, pretty much since he was drafted, to be honest with you. Uh, I have posts on my personal account from Giannis in the dunk contest and me just cheering him on. Um, so I've been a Giannis fan forever. But nonetheless, so Bucks come out just basically sleepwalking. Zero effort. I don't even know what game they thought this was. This looked like a regular season game that didn't even matter to the Bucks to start the game. Giannis lands on his tailbone in the middle of the game, just leaves the game, tries to come back, but exits again. And I think he came back again, but then he left again. It was like a little, it was, it was very concerning for, for any of the Bucks fans out there or, or Giannis fans or just fans of, of just watching a good series in general. This is just not good. You know, you get a jaw injury, you have a obviously a Tyler Hero injury for the Miami Heat and now this Giannis injury obviously we have a Paul George injury uh, over there for for the for the Clippers you know and, and this is a game that it's a tone setter you know and the Heat just come out as Heat as they as they are you know just just everything that the Heat do to piss everyone off you know they 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 come out and and they just their lights out from three you know, Middleton and Bobby Portis, they dominate in this game. They looked amazing in this game, but the Bucks lose, right? No other people show up. And Bam was, Bam Adebayo, literally non-existent in this game until the second half. And then he made up for it. So the stats you see for Bam Adebayo in that box score, uh, they're very misleading. Okay, just click first half on, on the box score, like go to the, go to the sections and first half, He's just a no-show. You go to the second half, that's where he did all his damage. Um, but, you know, Jimmy Butler was really the story here. Just literally just the best player in this game, in my opinion. He got everywhere he he wanted. You know, I mean, the Bucks could not do anything about Jimmy Butler. And the Heat shot 60% from three. The Bucks defense was disgusting. It was, I mean, leaving people open. The effort wasn't there from start to finish. It got a little close, right? But... Like towards the end, the Bucks really grinded it out here, but they allow 130 points to one of the worst offensive teams in the NBA. Giannis or not, you cannot let the Miami Heat score 130 points. That is unacceptable. Okay. I want to give credit to the Heat because they come into this building, Giannis or not, and they take a win on the road. Okay. Taking back home court advantage, credit to the Heat, man. They come in here, they steal the game on the road. They played great, okay? Um, and the Bucs just didn't show up. You know, they didn't show up, and that's on them. Budenholzer, though, the coach for the Bucs, 
I think his job is in danger. Okay, if if the Bucks lose this series, I don't care if Giannis is out for the rest of the series. If the Bucks don't win this series, he has to be gone, right? Like, and I've already been right about a couple of coaches. I talked about Dwayne Casey on my Coaches on the Hot Seat pod episode that you can go back and check. They fired Dwayne Casey. Uh, I talked about the Rockets head coach, Steven Silas. They fired Steven Silas. So, you know, he's another one of these guys that I didn't really talk about. I guess I kind of left him out because it's hard to put a guy that's, you know, number one in the Eastern Conference and they had just won a chip not too long ago. So, you know, but Mike Budenholzer, make no mistake, if they lose to the Miami Heat in the first round, he's gone. Okay, I want to get into kind of just my my visual reaction. I didn't take any notes for Clippers Suns as this episode gets a little longer than expected. Um, Clippers Suns was just an instant classic, in my opinion, between uh, Kevin Durant and uh, Kawhi Leonard. You get Russell Westbrook, just the most Russell Westbrook game ever in terms of inefficiency, right? Just awful from the field, but down the stretch, his energy, his effort, just, you know, blocking uh, Devin Booker in in the crucial moment of the game at the end of the game, and Devin Booker in midair just complaining instead of just watching out, and Russ, after blocking Devin Booker, hits him with the ball to give the Clippers the ball down the stretch. Russ had a ton of winning plays. He had a lot of bonehead plays. He had an awful offensive game, but defensively just being a pest, you know, he blocked KD on a play as well from behind. Russ was just as annoying as Russ can be for opposing teams to face because he's not going to kill you with the shooting, right? But he's going to kill you with the effort. And he was a pest, you know, he was, he was awesome, but you know, make no mistake, man, the Clippers showed up in this game and I heard something um, about Ty Lue's game plan going against the Suns that I love to hear. He basically said the game plan against a team with barely any chemistry uh, that they have built up because obviously the Suns are a brand new little group mixed in with KD. He's basically changing up the defensive schemes every other possession to kind of, you know, throw them off, right? Because they don't have a lot of reps facing multiple defenses and, you know, they're going to have to overly communicate to figure it out in a playoff series. So that was genius by Ty Lue, just kind of changing the looks both on defense and offense from time to time, you know? Um, and, and I got to say this, you know, you look at the stats for KD and he was incredible, right? Incredibly, just he balled out, but... He didn't take over, in my opinion, you know, had big moments, but he's such an innocent bystander for the beginning of so many games, you know, just so often he tries to play basketball the right way. He tries to be the best teammate. He tries to make the right plays. And in in a playoff series where, you know, you got an older Chris Paul, who's clearly taking a heavy backseat to everyone else on the team. You have Devin Booker, who starts this game just just putting his head down and getting to the cup and putting up his attempts. You know, Devin Booker, such an alpha, uh, had this conversation with Mario also via text. Just, you know, being a dude that is unapologetic about his field goal attempts. He's just going to put a bunch of shots up and he's going to be aggressive. You know, that's the version that the Suns need uh, from KD. Okay. Yes, Devin Booker is needed. Yes, CP needs the ball as well to kind of like, you know, play make and make things happen. But again, 
you know, you have a DeAndre Ayton who can clean up some misses from time to time, even though he's not like uh, a great effort guy, in my opinion. Um, he's got to be better. You know, Zubac, like I said, that's a great advantage for the Clippers. Zubac does not have trouble playing against DeAndre Ayton, and Ayton needs to do a better job. Okay, Aiton needs to be more effective. He needs to be more assertive. He needs to be more involved. I want to see more pick and roll actions with Dev with uh, with Devin Booker and KD. Right? Like, let's see what that looks like. I agree with what I heard from Bill Simmons on his podcast. I think it was yesterday or this morning. Um, basically saying, you know, why not try that out? Right? You put you put t- the opposing team in a very difficult situation right in a, in, in a situation where they have to make a decision right if you have a pick and roll action with KD and Devin Booker you know that requires a lot of communication and help defense and you're gonna leave uh, DeAndre Ayton on a lot of those plays right you're gonna leave him open on a lot of those plays from overly communicating for that pick and roll between those two meanwhile you have CP who can make something happen off the ball um, you know just there's just a lot that can happen from an action like that so I would like to see that um, but in general I just want to see Kevin Durant be more aggressive you know and you're gonna look at the box score and you're gonna say Victor you're crazy you know you 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 can't ask for more than what KD did but I'm telling you right now go back and watch the game specifically from the beginning the first quarter or so and you'll see you know if if KD just asserts himself even earlier you know you kind of force the opposing team to make some more aggressive changes, you know, and then you play that game within the game, you know, but I just, you watch Kawhi, right? A guy that obviously has to do way more because Paul George is not on the court and he delivers time and time again, okay? He just delivers, right? Bucket after bucket on the defensive end, wherever you put Kawhi, he is making things happen and shout out to the Clippers. They take one on the road, They now have home court advantage and they force the Suns to respond. I expect the Suns to win this series. I expected it to go six. Um, Now I'm thinking this is who knows what the series. I mean, this is looking like a seven game series. You know, obviously, you know, I definitely downplayed the chemistry issue with the Suns, right? Because they were so good in that in those limited games. But regular season is not the playoffs. You know, so so that's obviously something I overlooked for sure. Um, and it's something that Ty Lu is certainly looking to take advantage of on a night to night basis. But, you know, picks for tonight. Uh, we're going to get some games. We got Sixers Nets. I expect the Sixers to just, you know, get their second home win. Right. As they as they look to kind of get over, get this series over with as quickly as possible. Um, I don't know what this game's going to look like, you know. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I just I just can't see the Sixers blowing home games. My opinion is the only games that the Nets will probably win, if they win any at all, will be at home. That's just me. You know, the energy matching the crowd energy, you know, it kind of turns up to another level and I can see how they can take a game and maybe two in that sense. But I'm, I'm probably on, on my own boat in that sense. I think most people are picking this to be a sweep. Warriors-Kings, you know where I stand. I think the Warriors are going to come back and steal a game on the road turning it into home court advantage and hopefully ending up winning this series so we can get them ready for that second round, most likely against the Lakers. Who knows what happens with the John Moran situation? That's going to do it for this episode. This is the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and I'll catch you guys on the next one.